It's the Blues Rock Show with Pete Francis and Willie Witten. Welcome to the Blues Rock Show. I'm Pete Francis, joined by Willie Witten. Today, our special guest is the man who cleaned up the Blues Rock categories at the Blues Music Awards, Mike Zito. Mike, how are you? I am doing good. I'm going to get that peace sign in there. There it is. I'm Looks good. good. Well good. And good to have you on. So you win Artist of the Year and you win Blues Rock Album of the Year at the Blues Music Awards. When you decided to do a Chuck Berry tribute album, did you think it would get this type of response? Well, we never make, I would never, not even thinking about making a record, uh, hoping to win an award. Uh, and that is sincere. I mean, uh, just trying to, to think about usually uh, what do I want to do and what do you want to play, you know? Uh, that to me is we're a working band. I'm a working musician. So it's like, I want to be creative. I want to do something cool, but also like, we're going to go play this music. So the first thing I'm thinking is, uh, Hey man, we could play a bunch of Chuck Berry songs for the next 10 years. If we go make this Chuck Berry record. And I love that stuff. Um, so no, it didn't even, I, honestly, it didn't cross my mind in the least bit that, Hey, we're going to make a record in, in, Maybe we'll win an award, you know, but it's awesome that we did. I'm excited. Yeah. How much uh, of a lift does, does winning awards like this help you? Do you notice a, a boost after something like this happens? Uh, certainly you get, you know, not a lot of nice accolades. Uh, I don't know. Is that the right word? Um, you know, nods from, from other musicians, you know, I got, that's always wonderful. Um, I don't know if it means anything like more money or, or anything like that. I mean, we're just still working. We're doing our job and we're working. I think it, honestly, to me, whenever we win, a few times I've been honored enough to win something. Uh, it means a lot to the fans. Okay. And it means a lot to my family. Like I always think like, man, if we win an award, man, my wife could not be happier. My kids are like excited. Like dad's gone all the time and it's nice that he plays music and we can eat. We have food and all that. Man, they're, my wife, like they get really excited about that. I feel like that's their award for having to put up with us being gone all the time. You know, I don't think it, 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 it but it's certainly, it's an honor. I don't know that it means anything like, uh, riches and, and uh, things like that. It's more of a feather in your cap situation. You know, fans are definitely excited about it. Like we go play after we've, we've played shows after this happened and they're the first ones to come and tell me, Oh man, I knew you were going to win or I voted for you or isn't that awesome? Like, yeah, man, it's awesome. You know, it makes me happy because they took part or they voted and, and it counted, you know, well, let me ask about this, Mike. If there is a downside to winning an award, perhaps it's that in a way it almost overshadows what you did during, or at least part of what you did during all of last year. You came out with a wildly successful album in its own right, Quarantine Blues. It made the top 10 list of the Blues Rock Review, 20 albums of 2020. It was top 10. Fans loved it. So I guess besides the album, and I guess I'd like you to talk about the album itself, but how did you keep yourself sane during the madness of last year? 
Well, uh, I'm, I'm not sane to begin with. So I was very at home in all of that craziness. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. It was weird. Uh, like everybody else, it, it was an odd situation that I kept thinking, well, this would be over pretty soon. You know, this would be over pretty soon. This would be over. And then it just kept going and going. By the end of summer, I was like, yeah, this isn't, this is going to keep going for a while. Um, well, you know, like everybody else, I enjoyed spending time at home. I hadn't been home in a long time like that. So that was really cool. Got to spend a lot of time with my family and uh, my kids. Uh, we watched everything you can watch on any streaming service. We watched any, every 80s movie that my wife and I ever grew up watching so we could show our kids. We bought an Xbox. I've never played video games before and Grand Theft Auto is badass. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's so a classic. Game. <laughs> I'm so late to the game. Uh, and a side note, like I'm, I got so excited about it that, that Kingfish sends me a message. He's like, hey man, are you playing GTA online? And I'm like, yeah, but we found out we're not on the same, like I'm an Xbox and he's a, I don't know what the other one is, but. but that, yeah, we just had Kingfish on the show last week. Apparently he's a big gamer. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's really into it. Yeah, we were trying to, to hook it up. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we did all these things we didn't do, which was cool. We did live streams. We did like, oh, I got to be honest, not really into the live stream. It was okay. very cool. It's very hard. Does I'm it feel good. like it's just a lot harder to connect with the live stream? Is that kind of the big difference that you know? Well, yeah, I mean that's that's weird, right? I mean you you know you're singing and you finish, and there's nothing, and then I look over and my wife would sometimes come help, you know, and hang out, and I go, hey, uh, how are they liking it, you know, because she's like looking, oh, you know, Bart from Michigan said you sounded great, Mike. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, I'll do another one. It's just kind of weird, you know? Um, but really the weirder part for me was like, oh, the video, the, I can do audio. Right. I can do audio, I can record and I can do all that. Um, but I don't know how to do video. So like we would, we try, you know, you get it. It's like a whole wormhole. You're buying cameras and setting up, trying to, I watch these guys on, on, youtube and they have these channels where they do that you know yeah that's the thing i mean just think of all those people that was their dream come true last year <laughs> everybody went home and watched them you know um and i was like man i don't know how to do this and then i would do it and i just think man this looks terrible like i don't know how it looks terrible i don't know how to it took forever trying to figure out like how do you make the mute the audio sound good but you're mixing for this like the ether, it's not, it's not a room you're mixing. Right. It's very, it was very strange. Um, I mean, I did it. It would be fine if you could go do it somewhere where they knew how to do all the video and they had like right. a sound stage and all. Yeah, it's great. It's that thing at home. Like, I don't know how to do that. Uh, so that was very frustrating. And so that's probably why I just stayed busy in my a studio you know i have a studio behind my house and i just and by the end of the year i was like okay so we're really not going to go back on tour this year 
like this. We're just doing spotty things here or there. And um, my record deal with Roof Records was coming to a close. I knew that I would be on my own record label. And I thought, well, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. We're not touring until next summer. That was what I thought. It's going to be summer of 2021 before anybody goes on tour. Thank God I was pretty close to being right, you know. So then I just started working on new songs and a new album again. Because what else was there to do? Sure. Well, you do so much, Mike. Like you said, back on your own label, you've done production for other artists. If we look at Chuck Berry, Quarantine Blues, you've got another album coming out next week. <laughs> I guess for me, I was surprised a bit that you didn't like the 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 live streaming because in my mind, I was like, oh, it's another thing that Mike Zito can do. He does so many things. He wears so many hats. Where do you find the time and the energy to do all this? Where's the inspiration come from? Uh, <laughs> I would have loved the live stream. I just could not do it well. And I didn't have anybody helping me. You know, there was nobody there. I was trying to get help. I just couldn't pull it off. I didn't think it was good, you know? Thought it, I thought, yeah, the music sounds, you know, when it was good is if I put my iPhone up and I got an acoustic guitar and I just sat and sang and played. But anything beyond that was like just a mess. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I love playing music. I love writing music. I love making records. Um, but whatever I hear you say that you do so much. I was thinking, yeah, maybe too much. <laughs> Too much, maybe too much. Like maybe I should not do so much. Um, last year I couldn't, I couldn't help it, you know. Um, but the quarantine blues was just something. It was kind of more like a challenge, and it was weird. Like we came home, we didn't know what was going to happen, and I was like, we have to quarantine for two weeks. Let's see if we can make a record in two weeks. Let's just make a record, write it, record it, release it in two weeks. So that was like fun. I won't ever, probably never do that again. And I enjoyed that, you know, um, but I think the energy, the inspiration comes from um, my, you know, my dad worked hard all his life. He worked 40 years at Anheuser-Busch Brewery in St. Louis. And, uh, and I, I just thought that was the worst job. It just was, seemed terrible. You know, uh, he drove a, a forklift. And they drank every day. I guess that was the only good thing. They could drink. <laughs> you could drink on the job. <laughs> crazy? Until 1982. You could drive, operate heavy machinery and drink beer all day. Isn't, um, what, isn't that what they say not to do on the can? Yeah, now. Yeah, now. Oh. Not, not in the late 70s and early 80s. No, no. But, um, you know, he just, he worked so hard. And we were lower middle class and... Uh, uh, I think I just have that in me and I had it like, okay, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like my brother worked at the brewery. I was like, I am not working. I'm not doing that kind of job. And I, and I wanted to do music and they all told me you, you can't do me. Like you can't do that. That's not a job. You need to get a job. And so I don't know, since I was a kid, I was like, no, I'm doing that. So, um, because I've been awarded some opportunities, man, I just feel like, you know, you need to work. Like, uh, it's important, you know, I want to, um, I, I have five kids. Of course, I want to feed them and take care of them, but I want to leave them something, you know, and I have a fan base. Um, 
it's all kind of working. So I don't see any reason to not be contributing, especially last year. I mean, I think there was two ways you could have done last year. You could have done nothing. Or you could have done what I think I did was I just tried to do a lot, you know, and especially for the fans, because we have all these people to support us all the time. And they were like, they had, they were like cooped up with nothing. So I didn't like doing live streaming and all that, but I did it because they seemed to like it. You know, it wasn't about making money from it. The people seemed to like, like they were needing entertainment in some way, you know? So, um, I think that it just all comes from growing up in South St. Louis and being poor and, you know, liking money. <laughs> so, Mike, you mentioned South St. Louis. I've read this and I, you never know what you read on the Internet, whether it's true or not. But I read somewhere that, uh, that you uh, met and started a friendship with Devin Allman when you were both working at a guitar center. Is this true? Who is that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> He'll laugh. No, I met Devin, but even, actually even before that, you know, okay. um, Devin, Devin's um, stepfather was a pilot for in, in, in the Air Force. And I think when Devin was, I don't know, maybe 18 or 19, they moved to St. Louis. Uh, and his, his, uh, his dad then worked for TWA, which was in St. Louis. So they moved to St. Louis for that job. Um, what I remember is being like in my early 20s, we're fairly close in age, I think. Um, he never really tells you exactly how old he is. That's a that's a rock and roll trick. Uh, I'm 50. So I don't mind. <laughs> he, um, he had a band, he had a, a rock band, um, the Dark Horses, that's the name of the band. And so I, you know, remember like people like, oh, you know, it's Greg Allman's son, you know, is in this band, the Dark Horses, and they're playing. So we went, you know, we went and saw him, and um, and I had, you know, met him. They, we were playing, we were like kids playing a lot of the, of the same clubs, but not really friends. I just I knew who he was, and he was playing with other musicians that I would that I would play with or whatever. But yeah, I think nineteen ninety eight or maybe nineteen ninety nine, somewhere in there. There was a guitar center finally opened in St. Louis and, um, and he was there to work. You know, I went, I would have been working in a music store like since I was 18. I, started, I worked for 10 years at a, at a small music store in St. Louis. Um, so that was kind of like what I did. I worked at the music store and I played music. And, uh, and then there was, Devin was there and I was like, why, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? <laughs> He's like, I need a job, man. Like on my head, I always thought, yeah, but you know, you're Greg Allman's son. Like, why, why are you working? You know, you should go do that. And he was like, that doesn't matter. Like, I have to have a job. Like, I have to go to work. And uh, yeah, we worked there for off and on for a couple of years together. And that's when we became, you know, friends. And he had his band Honey Tribe then. And uh, so they were playing. And, you know, in that store, we were like kind of the two guys, you know, that were playing. There was all musicians, but we had like bands and they played around town. We were doing stuff. And I had, you know, he had been making some records. I was making my first couple records. So it was fun. You know, the store, everybody kind of supported us. We'd go see each other and all that. Uh, but never in a million years, even then, did I think um, that we're going to be in a band together. 
In fact, we were like kind of competitive, you know, like playing gigs and trying to be bigger than, you know, Devin loves to tell this story. He says, uh, you know what I remember? He goes, I remember going to see Mike Zito play somewhere downtown St. Louis. And about two in the morning, he pulled his pants down and got naked on the bar and ran around the bar playing guitar naked. And he said, I thought, man, I don't ever want to be in a band with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I'm sure I did that because I was wild. And uh, so we think it's funny that all the years later, we end up in that great band, Royal Southern Brotherhood, you know. So, Mike, in, in recent years, you started up your own label, Gulf Coast Records. How has that changed your perspective as an artist? Yeah, yeah. Wow. A lot, for sure. Well, you know, even just producing. Um, you know, I, I produced my first album. You know, I produced my own records for all my life. I mean, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just making records. Uh, but the first record was the uh, 2010 Girls with Guitars uh, featuring uh, a girl from Kansas City named Samantha Fish. So that was that was a, a good out of the out of the box album. And just doing that, of course, changed. Oh, OK, we need to make a record. And you've got like young artists that maybe don't know how to make a record. They know how to play guitar and sing and they've written songs but you're trying to like tie the songs together and kind of make things work and you know, all that. So, you know, I produced a lot of records for Ruth for over the that decade and all of that kind of led to the record label. I had been thinking, you know, for some years like, man, it would be great to have, to have our own record label and a studio and produce these records like I love making these records. Not that I think I'm great at it. I just like doing it, by the way. And every time I do it, I get a little better, you know, at it. <clears throat> so jump to your question with the label. You know, you learn a lot producing records from the um, artistic side of trying to help an artist make uh, a complete product, right? And being a producer means it's not very lofty. It means uh, the record label gives you this much money and they say, uh, okay, you got 10 days. Okay. And you're the producer. It means in 10 days, you have to produce an album. You have to give them an album, like physically produce an album, you know, like it has to be done. So really being a producer is kind of can be a taskmaster. You know, also you're like, Hey, come on, you know, we got to get going. We have to get this done or, you know, you need to, it needs to be done. They're counting on you to get it done. Well, now you get a record label and you think, oh, this can be great, man. We can do whatever we want. Uh, yeah, you can. You can you can do whatever you want and you have to pay for all of it. <laughs> it all comes out of your pocket. So I think I had my point of telling you all this. I think I had a pretty good idea from producing for Roof Records and working with Thomas Roof closely and learning from him you know, what works and what doesn't. And, and uh, you know, it's a whole other thing. It's not art at all. It's just, it's just like having a store. There's nothing necessarily artistic about it. But Thomas Roof is very artistic. You know, he likes, he wants to put out a record by people that he likes. He wants, I mean, and so, so do I. But then you also have this question of like, 
man, I love to make this record. This is a great artist. I love their music and no one's going to buy it. That sucks. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I, I think this person's great. Would love to help them. Um, but I'm going to lose my ass. Right. So this is the not fun part of that I've learned, you know, um, and it's trial and error, you know, I mean, we, and I'm proud of all the records we've made. And overall, I think all of our records have done pretty well. You know, I mean, um, I think they're great records. Maybe some have sold more than others. Maybe some sell enough to cover another one that didn't sell as much, you know. Um, it, it's certainly given me this um, look like, uh, okay, so like this record that's coming out, Resurrection. I mean, I have all, I had all kinds of ideas. I was like, wow, you can do anything you want, Mike Zito. You know, you can be on your own record. Like you can make any record you want. And my first thought was, yeah, you just need to make a record that the fans, you need to give the fans what they want and do your thing and not go sideways and go make a, a, a bluegrass record or something. You need to, you need to make the record that you're good at making and give the fans what they want because um, they want it. They deserve it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and we need to sell some records. I'm like, I'm going to be on the record label. I mean, I've never thought like that before, ever. Of course, we want to sell records. I'm always like, oh, I just want to be an artist, man. You know, let's play some cool guitar. And now it's like, um, I didn't, I didn't think that when we're making the music. It was just more like, don't, don't make a blue a country record or don't make a, a, a some other style. Stick with what you're doing and do what you like to do and give the fans what they want. And uh, I think the record will sell well and then it'll be good for the record label. That's the first time I've ever had to think that way, you know. And Resurrection comes out July 16th. Tell us about why you chose Resurrection as the title and what's kind of the meaning behind that song and that track. Yeah, you know, um, this album really doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, uh, pandemic or, or the things we've been through. It's not really anything to, like that at all. I really made the record, like I said, because I realized, well, we're, we're not going back to work anytime soon. And I just had all this time. And I thought, well, we just did a record where we made a record in like as quick as possible. I've never had time to make a record. Generally, when you make a record, say with another label or whatever, you know, you, you work on your record prior to the studio. And then you go in the studio, maybe you have seven days or five days, or you know, you, you're kind of prepared. And then you go in and record and then it's done. That's it. And it's like, well, there's a studio in your backyard. There's a studio in Louisiana that's, you know, Grammy award-winning Dockside Studios. It's two and a half hours away. Nobody's doing anything and none of us have COVID. Like we're not sick. Let's just re start recording. And so the process was different. I just started writing and then let's go record this song and let's record it again. Let's try it a little faster and let's try it a little slower. I've never done that before. You know, you watch those movies with like the Rolling Stones where they spend a year making an album. You know, it always seems crazy to me, like a year, 
what are you doing? You know, but this was fun. I mean, I, from October was finished at the, at the beginning of March. I've never, ever done anything like that where I, I went to multiple studios, I re-recorded tunes. So you asked, you know, what's that song about that song? Um, it's been an idea for a song I had for a while. It's really a love song about my, myself and my wife. Um, and it was, you know, just kind of a, we've been together 20 years now and probably five years in, I was like, you know, we were having a, a, a rough time, you know, things weren't, we weren't jiving, you know, and then uh, she got, uh, we got pregnant. We were going to have another baby. We weren't planning it. So it caused, at first we thought, oh, this is going to be more stress, you know, end up being like the greatest thing that could have ever happened. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I think I need a drink. Can you? No worries. Or you can keep it in. I don't really care. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, another thing we're talking about family. Pete related to me a story that he said he'd seen you year or so back. And uh, your son came on stage to play with you. Yeah. What's it like now that you're at a stage in your career where, hey, my son is getting himself into a spot to not just play a little bit of guitar, but join me and contribute and be an artist in his own right. What's oh. that been like for you? How, yeah. how gratifying is it to see that? Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's, it's, uh, he's been playing guitar with me since he was 10 years old. Like when he, he could play, but he didn't really know what he was doing. And I remember I was like, Hey, you're going to play with me tonight. And he was like, well, I don't, what do we, what song are we playing? Do I need, you know, I said, I don't know. We'll just do like a, you know, like we'll, we'll jam some blues and E and what am I supposed to play? I was like, I don't, I don't know. You get up there and figure it out. You know, I was like, that's the best way. So this kid's been doing that since he was, he's 26, you know, since he was 10, he's been getting on stage going, I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, that's just figure it out. You know, um, it's awesome. You know, I, I, I was really excited. He graduated from Mizzou a few years back. I had all these wonderful plans that he would move to Texas and, and join my band. I was going to hire him and put him. I mean, I was just so excited. Like he's going to come join me and we're going to go on the road together. He's going to be the other guitar. He's a great guitar player. He's a better guitar player than me. He has like a jazz degree, you know, um, I was really excited about it and he does get up and play, uh, but that is not what he wants to do <laughs> at all. Like as soon as I was like, all right, buddy, I'm going to, I'm going to pay you every month. You're going to join the band and carry all the stuff and set it all up <laughs> and, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to do that at all. Like he, he had his own, <laughs> he's not interested. He likes my music. Like he likes it, you know, he's into it but he likes his own music. So he had his own group in Columbia and, and they were really, it was different, you know, different music than what I play. Um, kind of pop and soul and uh, hip hop. And it was a, he did his own thing. And he also does video work. So yeah, I thought it was really cool. And I, it's still, he's still in that place. If, if he wanted to come join me, I would put him in my band tomorrow, but now he lives in North Hollywood and he works at the Hollywood Guitar Center on Sunset Boulevard. 
and he's doing video editing work. And that's what he really loves doing. And he's doing studio work, playing guitar. He's doing his own thing, man. But it's cool that I can help him. You know, I call up Walter Trout and uh, his producer, Eric Korn. And I say, my son's and he's out there now. And you guys need to hire him to help you do some videos. And they, he went and worked at the studio there. He went and did some work, I think around Sugar Ray. He did some work with Tony Bronigal on a video. Um, so it's cool that I can kind of help make a phone call and facilitate some stuff, you know. But he's doing his own thing, so. And he helped you out with your newest video, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made, um, he made. I thought it was a really fun uh, video for um, Don't Bring Me Down, which is, you know, about getting on Facebook every day. <laughs> like, oh, like, why did I do this? And then five <laughs> minutes later, you do it again. And then five minutes later, you do it again, you know? Yeah, he made, he made that really cool video where that's his, that's his girlfriend, who's an actress. <clears throat> and that's their apartment in Hollywood. And she gets on her phone and she's like scrolling like, and by the way, it says fake book. It's not Facebook, <laughs> fake book. And she's scrolling and it's like kitty cats and then like people fighting and arguing and then buy this, buy this. But then the lyrics are like, you know, at the top. So yeah, he did all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Resurrection comes out July 16th. Mike, this has been great having you on. Any final thoughts before we let you go? No, I really appreciate everything that you guys do. Um, I'm sorry that I, I got choked up there a minute. Um, I think it's really awesome. I love getting the emails. You know, I just got the summer songs email. Um, so I, I just appreciate what you all do. Um, it really helps the genre. And and I don't think I really got to mention, you know, you, you we've talked about Chuck Berry at the very beginning and you asked about their awards. Uh, let me just tell you one the best things that happens when, when we won that award is that, um, you know, Joe Bonamassa called me the next morning. Kenny Wayne Shepard sent me a text message the next day. Eric Gale sent me a message. Um, if any, those guys are so awesome. All those people that played on that album are so awesome. I'm such a fan of them. I just want to say there's nothing more fulfilling to me that those those people on that record like treat me as a friend and an equal and they, and they said th they said hey man congratulations and good job i just wanted to tell you that like that's like over the moon to me you know that's yeah awesome. that is super cool awesome. stuff yeah it's cool all right mike well best of luck with the new album yeah thanks guys all right that's gonna wrap up this week's edition of the blues rock show for willie Witten and mike zito i'm pete francis we'll see you next time